And uh, we're gonna be looking at, uh, at this beautiful picture of the church that, is, uh, that we get to see as we, uh, as we read the scriptures and we read the words of Jesus. And, uh, and we're gonna be looking at this through the lens of, of one particular character uh, in scripture, uh, the, the character of Simon Peter. If you know anything about Simon Peter, uh, he, is, he is probably like, I love him, he's pr- but he's like the poster boy for like being a misfit. Um, he's the first guy to, to speak up or to act, and he really, in, in some points of his life, didn't put a lot of thought behind like the action, like he'd just kind of take a swing and, and say the thing that kind of was the first thing that came to his head. And, uh, and for, some of, for some of you, you may be able to relate to, uh, to some of the things that you, you get to see in him. But we're gonna get a bigger picture of, of what God's kingdom is all about, the thing that he has called each and every one of us into as he draws us to belong to himself, as he draws us into relationship with himself. This is something that is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful, beautiful thing that the Bible goes so far as to call the church the bride of Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a, a wedding. I, I know I have. I've been a part of one, uh, which is awesome. Um, but there's no such thing as like an ugly bride. Like the, uh, the bride is always beautiful on her wedding day. And, uh, and, uh, and so we, when, we hear this, uh, when we hear this imagery, when we see this imagery in, uh, in the scriptures about the, uh, the church being the bride, it kind of gives you that picture that, uh, that this is something that, that is supposed to be good and it's supposed to be beautiful and supposed to be life-giving. And uh, we're gonna be talking about those things over the next couple of weeks. If you missed last week's message, I really encourage you, go online to ecwesleyan.net. There's a little tab that says listen online. You can click on that and you can be brought up to speed. We're gonna have all of the messages in this series on there. And also, as an added bonus, I wanna throw this out there to you. I believe, and and I've, I've come to believe this as a firm conviction that what happens here, like you will get exactly what you put into this out of it. And, uh, and so what I wanted to do through this is I wanted to offer you the opportunity to join in conversation with other people about, uh, about what we're talking about. Uh, and, uh, and in order to help with that, uh, if you go to ecwesleyan.net slash wefit, all one word, you will be able to find questions about each of the messages in the series that you can sit down with your family, sit down with some friends, and talk about these things because what will happen is it will move from just simply something that you've heard to something that you are actively engaging in. And my hope and my desire with this is that through this, we get a better picture of what it means to be a church and what it means to be a bride that honors the bridegroom, honors Jesus. So I would encourage you this afternoon, go look there. I have a slight confession on that. I didn't get it up on Friday, but I do have it written and I'll have it up this afternoon. So if you're looking for questions, look for those later this evening and, uh, and you will find them there. But to catch you up, if, if, you, didn't miss, if you did miss last week and you weren't here last week, um, I wanna give you kind of the Clef Notes version of, uh, of where we were last week. So we got the introduction to Simon Peter. Uh, we saw him and, and his partners, they were on, we, we see them on the shore and they're, they're cleaning nets. They've had a particularly rough night. 
they have, have failed at the trade. Uh, they've had a rough night of fishing, zero fish to show for, uh, for, the, for these guys who are fishermen. And this, uh, this whole account is found in Luke chapter five. But this, this moment, this moment isn't the first time that Jesus and Simon Peter interact. There's this moment in his, in his home where his mother-in-law is ill and, and Jesus comes in and and, and heals his mother-in-law. And as Jesus enters this boat with Simon Peter and, 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 uh, and he see, gets to see who Jesus is and hear a little bit more of Jesus' authority that he has, he's come to realize this isn't just an ordinary teacher. There is something more to this Jesus. And he came to understand that he is Lord. He's starting to get a glimpse of that. And there's this moment where he just falls at Jesus' feet and just says, I, just go away from me. I'm just, I'm ruined, I'm, sin, I'm sinful, just go away from me. I don't, I don't deserve to have you in my boat. And Jesus, in the way that he always does this, he always finds us in these things. He encourages him, he challenges him, don't be afraid. I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna make you new. Follow after me. Last week, uh, what was really interesting with this is that, that at the end of that passage, that Simon Peter, he doesn't just get out of the boat and go on his merry way, but it says that he, he got out of the boat and he left his boat and he left his nets and he left his livelihood on the shore and so did his partners, James and John. These three became incredibly close to Jesus. And last week, one of the things that we said was this, that when Jesus brings about the opportunity for change, you can either push him away or you can take the invitation. If you push him away, you will sink 100% of the time. But if you take his invitation, if you choose to follow him, it means that you leave on his terms. You leave that place from a different direction than when you came. And that's what the three of these did. But as, we're ta- as we begin this conversation, and this is gonna be a conversation that we're gonna be having for a couple of weeks. But as we begin this conversation about what it means to fit as part of the church, there are some things that we kinda need to level out. And there are some things that we've come to accept. And there are some things that we've come to understand that might hurt a little bit, but we need to get to the foundation of what Jesus has called us to be as his church. So buckle in, we're gonna do this, but we're gonna pray before we jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words. You you have incredible words that you speak to us. And so God, I ask that as, uh, as we spend this time together, that you would not only challenge us, but you would give us a, a clearer picture of who you are and, uh, and who you've called us to be as your church. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So last week we were in Luke and we're gonna jump books this week. We're gonna jump over to the book of, of John and we're gonna be in chapter six. And one of the things, I'm gonna give you kind of a little bit of a disclaimer today. There is a lot that is going on in John chapter six and I'm gonna do my best to like 
kind of shrink wrap everything and, and give it to you so you have a context of, of what is going on here. But I would encourage you, go back, read through John chapter six. There's so much that's going on here and so good. I'm gonna give you the condensed version, but I would encourage you to, uh, to read there and, uh, and, uh, and get a, bitter, a bigger picture of, of the details of, of the things that are going on. So John chapter six, Jesus is beginning his, his public ministry and, uh, and he's, he's teaching these large crowds. He's starting to gain some traction in, uh, in what he's doing and, and, and people are, man, they're, they're just following after him. People are, are seeing the sick healed and, and the demon possessed freed. They're, they're hearing uh, teaching that is full of so much authority. And, and even, even when he crosses across seas, the crowds, they follow him. They wanna be a part of what's going on. They wanna see what Jesus is gonna do next. And Jesus not only understood the spiritual needs of the people that he was teaching, he also understood the physical needs too. And there's this moment that we see in John, in John chapter six where the, the crowds are following even after he crossed over again. The crowds are following. And Jesus turns to his disciples. He's like, hey, I've got a question for you. Where are we gonna find bread to feed everyone? Like Judas is probably like digging around in his, his purse and you're going like, Jesus, we don't have the money here. It's gonna cost a lot. And, and, uh, and so what happens, what happens next is, is really kind of interesting. Simon Peter's brother, Andrew, he finds this boy. Boy's got five barley loaves of bread, two fish. Like this is like maybe a snack for a grown man. But there are 5,000 men that are there in the crowd. And what's amazing is Jesus takes this little thing and he, and he prays over it and he blesses it and they start handing it out. And it says that, that not, only, not only did everybody get something to eat, but everybody had as much as they wanted. And there were still leftovers. It's like the greatest church potluck ever. Like one person brings something and everybody was fed. <gasps> and there's still some left over. But if you start looking actually a little, a little bit deeper into this, uh, some biblical scholars actually will say that like, well, we know that like 5,000 men were there. If you counted in the women and children that might have been following after Jesus as well, the number gets exponentially larger. Like we're talking in the tens of thousands. And this moment happens and there's this miracle. And the crowd is like, oh, this is awesome. Dinner and a show. And the, and the Bible says that, that Jesus knew the heart of the people. He, he knew the thing that was going on. And they're looking at the situation going, he heals the sick. He casts out demons. Dude conjures bread on command. This is so cool. He needs to be our king. And it says that they were, they were planning on making him king by force. And Jesus, understanding their heart, he withdraws, and we see this moment where he walks across the sea, and I, can, I hate to glaze over that, but it's, we're gonna get to, to where we're going here in just a minute. 
The crowds followed him again. And they kept following. And there's this moment that we're gonna get into here where Jesus, he lays bare the intentions of the crowd. They're walking along after he crosses over the sea again. The crowds are still following him. And, and, and uh, there's this running conversation that takes place. There's this running conversation and, and people start asking him, Jesus, hey, what proof are you gonna give us that you're the son of God? What, what signs are you gonna do? What miracles do we get to see next? What are you gonna do for us, Jesus? And I gotta tell you guys, as I, was, as I was reading through this this week and I was praying through this passage and I was studying them going, this sounds familiar. Like I've, I've heard this type of line of questioning before. And I remembered in, in Matthew chapter four, there's this, there's this moment where Jesus, he's in the desert and he's fasting and praying and he's preparing to launch into this public ministry and Satan comes along and he says, if you were the son of God, then you would dot, 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 prove it. Go on, Jesus, prove it. It's the same line the crowd was giving him. Go on, Jesus, prove it. Another miracle, another wonder, another healing. Go ahead and do this, Jesus. And, 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 and there were people that were in the crowd that just started getting so much for, more forceful. And, and they, would say, they would say things like, like, Jesus, always give us this stuff. Always give us this bread. And this is where the conversation, it turns. It turns to bread. And it turns to the children of Israel and God's provision for them. And this is where Jesus, he makes this statement that is so, it's ridiculous to the crowd. And he says to them this, he says, I am the bread of life. And unless you eat of the bread and drink of this blood, you have no life in you. And they scoffed at him. They're like, is this, is this Mary and Joseph's son? Like, isn't that the carpenter's boy? Like, how can he say, I am the bread that came down from heaven? Like, how, how can he do that? And Jesus, when he's talking about this, this, this idea of, of, of eating his, his, the, his flesh and drinking his blood, he's not like talking about like a zombie thing or cannibalism or like anything like that. They're, they're kind of missing the point in his teaching. He's saying, he's saying, unless you take me into you, he uses this term that's so intimate, this, this term of eating. Like when you eat something, you are taking this thing into you that is providing life for you. It is enabling your life and your breath and your motion and your actions. It is, it is the thing that fuels you and Jesus, he's, he's foreshadowing this, this crucifixion that's gonna happen and the, and the, uh, the institution of communion. And he's, he's letting them know, hey, look, if you follow me, there's gonna be suffering that you're gonna be a part of. You follow me, it's not gonna be all bread all the time. You're, you're, gonna, you're gonna endure things. But in order for you to experience the life that you're looking for, 
there's this thing that you need to partake in. That's preposterous, Jesus. That's difficult. But in order for them to find him, in order for them to participate with him in this, they would have to disregard their house rules. Now, what do I mean by house rules? Well, um, how many of you have ever played the game of Uno? Most of you have played the game, the game of Uno, okay? You know, cards and colors and numbers and all that fun stuff. I don't know that I've ever played the same game of Uno twice. Because every time that I play it with different people, like everybody has a different set of rules that they bring to the game. So there's like the, there, there are those like, those people that are just, they're the snipers where like, if you don't say Uno right away when you have one last card, you gotta pick 10 other cards up. If you can't play, you gotta draw until you can play. If somebody lays down a draw two and another person lays down a draw two, then they all just kind of stack until somebody can't play a draw two and then somebody's left with those cards. There are all these rules that are brought to the table with the game. And I find it really troubling that the same thing happens in the church of Jesus Christ. You know, these rules are are usually loosely based on something that exists within the game. And the house rules that we bring into church tend to be loosely based off of the things that we read within the scripture. And while our, our, our doctrine may stay orthodox, we believe in the sonship of Jesus. We acknowledge the, the doctrine of sin and of salvation. We acknowledge the, the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. But isn't it interesting, and maybe you've experienced this, where somebody else's house rules have been brought into the game, and you can't figure out how to play the game because you don't know the rules. And so here's this background text. We've got to understand all of this stuff that's going on in this passage before we jump into the place where we're actually jumping into this morning. And it starts here in verse 60, John 6, verse 60. We're gonna have the passage here up on the screen. On hearing, on hearing it, this is this teaching that Jesus gives about eating, he's the bread of life and eating the body and drink. On hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And I went ahead and skipped a slide there. I apologize. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some who did not believe. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. 
He went on to, to say, this is what I told you, that no one can come to me unless the Father is enabled. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you not want to leave too? Do you? You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And here we see something within this passage that seems so uncharacteristic of Jesus. And I think that we see it as uncharacteristic because of some of the house rules that we've applied to him. Jesus is actually turning people away. Why would he do that? Our rules dictate that Jesus just accepts everyone and everything and, 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 and we can do whatever we want because Jesus is just all about love, man. Isn't it funny how we do that to him? And yet Jesus, knowing the heart of the people, this wasn't a love issue. This actually was. that Love was at the center of this. He's just trying to help them to be honest. He's just trying to help them be honest about where they're really at. They didn't really want to be changed by Jesus. They just really liked the Jesus experience. I was walking through the, uh, the Mall of America the other day and it's, it's funny to me and Bailey and I kind of have this running joke whenever we walk through there because there's always like something, the experience. So you have like Barbie Dream Home, the experience or like Natural Wonders, the experience, Star Trek, the experience, the experience, the experience. You know, there's, it's, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like those things. Like we get to go, we, you kind of, you know, you pay a couple of bucks, you get to walk through, you see a couple of things, whoa, we're entertained, it's good. And then we go on. And the same thing is true here too. The people that are following after Jesus really, 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 really liked the Jesus experience. They really, really liked what Jesus could do for them. He made them feel good. He entertained them. He taught some things. Oh man, those are so good. Jesus, those are so good. We love the Jesus experience. We like the way that Jesus makes us feel, but we're not really excited when Jesus calls us to a higher standard. And that's what he's doing. He's calling them to be transformed, to be made new. Remember, when Jesus calls us to follow, it is always on his terms. It is always on his terms. And we always leave a different way than when we came to him. And the people grumbled, this is too hard. And they couldn't control Jesus. They couldn't manipulate him. And they turned away and they no longer followed him. <sighs> this is hard. Because this is the place where we kind of come into this and, and we have to ask some really hard questions. 
because over the years in the church, haven't we done the same things? Well, it's like, I don't like that, so I'm not going to tithe. I, I don't like this situation, so I'm just going to pull, pull away. This, this doesn't have the right order to it or the right appearance or the right sound or the right color. Or what, we, we bring all of these things to the table. And how sad, how sad is it that our worship of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is dependent on aesthetics? And we like being fed Oh, we like this experience. It's so good. But isn't it sad and a bit arrogant that we would go so far as to threaten the bride of Christ when we don't get our own way? And none of us are exempt from this because there are all things that we've brought to the table. There are always rules. There are rules that we've brought to the table. And the heart of it all, much like the people following after Jesus on that day, one of the things that we have to take inventory, if we are going to be a church that is honoring to Jesus Christ, we have to ask this question, are we more in love with the Jesus experience or do we actually love Jesus himself? Because if you worship the experience, you will be disappointed every single time. It will never be good enough. You will never get fed enough. You will never be entertained enough. If you worship the experience, you will be disappointed every single time. But then there's this moment there's this moment where Jesus, he asks, he asks this really emotionally penetrating question. You don't want to leave too, do you? Do you want to go? He's given them the option. He gives this really, really hard teaching. He lets them know, hey, look, this is the precedent. If we're going to do this thing, this is what you need. And this is what we need to move ahead. You don't want to go too, do you? And this is where Simon Peter, he speaks up, and I'm so glad that he does because he makes this declaration that is probably one of the most important declarations in Scripture outside of, of the, the declaration of the divinity of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And it's, and it's like he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'm ruined. I'm ruined for anything else. I've had the best. Why would I want any, why would we want anything else? Only you hold words of eternal life. 
And Simon Peter moves from the guy who was in the boat, who accepts the invitation to follow Jesus, to being somebody who firmly believes in who Jesus is, and it's starting to dictate how he then becomes and who he becomes. We can follow somebody or something, an experience. We can follow a pastor. We can follow a leader. We can follow a teaching. We can follow it from a distance. And we can really, really like things about it. But there is something that happens when it takes root and the roots get in deep and that belief becomes conviction and conviction becomes commitment and commitment births new life and transformation. And this is the thing that Jesus is calling us into that everything that we do is dictated by that understanding that only Jesus has the words to life. Only he can give us direction. Only he is the one who can transform us and, and take us from this, the places that he finds us into life that is new. And it has to inform everything. It has to dictate everything from the way that we, we, we treat our neighbors to the way that we treat our families to the, to the generosity that we have with our money and our possessions. It impacts and informs everything. It's got to. Because only he has the words of life. And when you follow Jesus this deeply, you relinquish hold of those things. You relinquish hold of the house rules that you bring to the table. It's not about you anymore. And we relinquish the things that we would control. And we relinquish the things that maybe, that maybe have been things that we've used against other people too. And there comes a point in time in the life of every person who has ever intersected with Jesus where we have to answer a question, and this is the question that we have to answer here today. And there's no middle ground in this. There's not like a halfway point in this. Option number one is this. We can pigeonhole Jesus. We can, we can try to stuff him into to fitting into the, the parameters of our house rules. We can have our agenda. But by doing this, there's a little bit of a caveat, a little bit of a disclaimer that we've got to give here. By doing this, we're saying that we're superior to Jesus and that we have a better idea of how things should go than he does. And we can choose this. We have option within this. But again, be warned Jesus is pretty clear that the standard in which we use to judge things and people, those are the same standards that Jesus has for us. And we're also going to be held responsible for how these rules are an obstacle to other people that might follow after Jesus. And one day, if this is the option that we choose, we will have to answer God and answer the question of 
Why did we think that was a really good idea? That's option number one. If you don't like option number one, there's a second option. Choice number two is this. We can trust that only Jesus has words to eternal life. And that if we're going to follow those, we have to trust that he has our best interest in mind. There are going to be some things that we have to let go of. There are going to be some things that maybe we like, maybe they're preferential things, maybe they're, they're activities, maybe they're attitudes, maybe they're grudges, maybe there's unforgiveness. We've got to let go of those things. And we've got to trust that he has a better way. And when we do this, we set aside the house rules and we simply sit at his feet and ask, Jesus, what would you have us do? Who would you have us be? Let, us, let our lives be dictated by that, because if only he has words to eternal life, as Simon Peter confessed, by choosing this road, we choose to view everything through the lens of not what has been done, but what we can do to make sure that these words of life do not die out with us. And everything, everything, everything that we do has to be dictated by the words of Jesus. And friends, this is what it means to be made holy and to be filled with his Holy Spirit. It means that we allow him to transform us. It means that we want Jesus' words more than we want to get our way and more than our opinions. It means that you let him mold you and that he is Lord, and that he has permission to take you from the places that, you, that we've dictated up to this point and to transform you into a place where you are being agents of transformation in the lives of other people. I'm gonna invite the worship team up here as we close. I wanna, I wanna share with you a story Several years back, while Bailey and I were, were still dating, I went to visit her at, at college, and Bailey is an art education major, and, and, uh, and so I, w- I was visiting her in a studio as she's working with clay. And of course, I you know, like to get my hands into things, and I'm not full of any mischief at all. And so I'm like, hey, this looks really fun. Let me, you know, can I, can I do this? And she hands me this block of clay. I'm like, okay, you know, what do you do with it? And so she starts working with this and, and you know, you slicing it in half to work the air out of it. And, and, uh, and then there's, you know, the wheel and she's centering this thing on the wheel and it doesn't center right. And she's got to redo it, recenter it. And then we got to pulling the thing out and it got off center. We had to recenter it again. And while my outcome for that, you know, I would tell you like it was abysmal. She'd probably say it was cute. Um, but, uh, but, when I, but then I stepped back and then I watched her take the clay. And she created something that was beautiful. And it was centered. But it happened. That was able to happen because the clay was put in the hands of a master. 
Church, it's easy for us to get off center sometimes. It's easy for us to get, up, get caught up in, in things that, that have no, no value. We've made them sacred. And maybe it's time, maybe this morning is a time for recentering for us. What a better time for us to do this than now. Would, would you stand with me as, as we pray? And we'll close out in, in worship here in just a second. Jesus, we, um, we come to you this morning and, and, and maybe there are some of us that we've been thrown off. So maybe somebody else has brought something to the table that or we've come to believe something that has nothing to do with who you are and who you've called us to be. God, would you recenter us? God, if we, if we have been more focused on the experience than the subject of our worship, if we worshiped worship, God, forgive us. If we worshiped a program or a, or a thing, forgive us. Jesus, only you hold words of eternal life and we don't want anything else. Why would we want anything else? Where else would we go but to you? And so God, where, where we would be taken from center, where, where things of, uh, of circumstance or even our, even our culture or even our church would distract us from who you are and who you've called us to be. God, would you remold us? It's only you. Only you have words of eternal life. Only you can speak the things into us that take us from being the misfit to finding the place where we fit. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.